Hey there, welcome to Streamed and Screened, a podcast distributed by Lee Enterprises about the new movies and TV shows just over the horizon that are worth your time. The show is hosted by Bruce Miller, an entertainment reporter from multiple decades, who is now the editor of the Sioux City Journal. Hello, Bruce. How are you today? Good, I hope. Doing very well, thank you. Uh, we also have Jared McNett, a reporter for the Sioux City Journal. Hello, Jared. I am vengeance. He is vengeance. Just kind of make it sound like we're the hotbed of movies, but you know, don't uh, don't draw that conclusion. We are. What are you talking about? <laughs> and me, uh, Chris Lay, the podcast operations manager for Lee. Uh, this week, the big news is that we are finally going to get to talk about Robert Pattinson as the Batman. That's Adam West. You're on the wrong <laughs> Pattinson, Pattinson, Pattinson. There you go. Good enough. Good enough. We also have a bunch of ripped from the headlines type TV shows that are premiering that are worth putting in one place. Got some great Oscar nominated movies that are going to be hopefully finding a new life. Maybe if you missed them in the theaters uh, on subscription streaming platforms, you'll be able to find links to all the movies that we talk about in the show notes where you can hit the subscribe button smash it smash that subscribe button guarantee that you will get all of our upcoming episodes like review share etc etc do you really want to talk batman right away because you know what i do want to talk about before we get too deep into everything coda okay because coda was a big winner at the screen actors guild awards and they're going to be showing it in theaters now and it's kind of like the little movie that could so who knows, but we'll come back to it. Let's talk Batman. Yeah, I mean, Coda definitely feels like it's getting a little bit of a dark horse status at this point. So Batman, Batman. Hey, number one, did we need another Batman? Yes. Yes. Why? I was thinking about it and like, obviously in the grand scheme of things, it's not that long of a time, but realistically there hasn't been a standalone Batman movie since the last Christopher Nolan one, because obviously the, uh, the Affleck, Batman stuff was all in the context of those uh, stupid crossover Justice League movies that made a lot of money but were critically reviled. The Dark Knight Rises was 2012, so it's been almost a solid decade since there's been like a standalone uh, Batman movie, which in this current like age we're in of superhero movies is actually a pretty long amount of time. So even just on, on that level, I think, yeah, maybe we were due for one. Does it need to be this dark, though? Yeah. I mean, Batman's always been dark. I think it's, the question is whether it needs to be as visually dark, maybe. All of the the Zack Snyder versions of it were just muddy. I mean, just visually, just kind of blah. This is visually going to be a step away from that. And I'm also, I'm just happy just to see DC going away from Zack Snyder. You know, for decades and decades, there's been the, you know, the big two in comics with DC versus Marvel. and with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Marvel has committed to this interweaving of, of all of these plots and everything happens in the same universe and recasting actors for specific things is something that they're going to have to confront, but they're not really excited about it, I guess. They're trying to kind of dance around it as much as they can. And I'm just thankful that we're getting a superhero movie with a new guy and they're just like, here's the new Batman. And it's with a director that makes sense. I mean, Chloe Zhao before The Eternals obviously did 
fantastic work, but like the whole time, it never made sense to me that they would be having an, you know, a director with her particular kind of skill set doing a superhero movie. Um, and the same thing with, you know, some other people that got tapped to do, you know, blockbuster stuff like Colin Trevorrow doing the Jurassic World movies after doing, you know, an indie darling like Safety Not Guaranteed. Those, none of those made as much sense to me as it does to have Matt Reeves, who's already done the more recent Apes movies, which are fantastic all across the board. That just makes a lot more sense to have a guy like him doing one of these kinds of movies than some of the other recent, like, big names they've got to do these sorts of movies. And everything that I've heard so far is that it's closer to being Zodiac than it is a superhero movie. I don't know. I mean, like Batman started in detective comics and just the idea of having a vehicle for him that treats it like a detective story is a step in the right direction, or at least just a fresh, a fresher take. What would be the job requirements, though, when you're casting for this? What would you have to have? Do they have to be like tall? Because it seems like most Batman are tall. Do they have to be brooding and kind of sullen? Do they have to be potentially sexiest man alive? I mean, what are all those things that you you would have to put in the in the job description? Brooding and sullen is definitely near the top, I feel like. Which that that is the one thing that like is more than fair to make fun of, like especially the Batman movies for even the ones I really like. It's just like how serious some of them can be. And I do wish there'd be a little bit more, at least with like the Bruce Wayne part of the equation, there'd be a little bit more stuff like when Michael Keaton was Batman, because he was like actually fun as Bruce Wayne versus a lot of the ones since, you know, Christian Bale and now with Robert Pattinson. It's a lot more uh, down note. What if you put somebody like Cody Smith McPhee in this role? As Batman? Yeah. I mean, he's way too small. I see him as being a interesting casting decision for a villain, maybe, but mm. not as Batman. Yeah, but wouldn't that be a real shift where you'd see this kind of Bruce Wayne who's very kind of effete? And then you see this Batman who's like totally different. You'd get a, a more of a, because these people are so stupid. They're like the people in Superman's town where you take the glasses off and oh, who are you? I don't even recognize you. And that's the same with, I could have spotted Batman in a lineup. <laughs> you would have been the one to break the story in Smallville. I would have been there pushing Jimmy Olsen away from the, Daily Planet over in whatever, Smallville, isn't that his town? And say, we got a scoop for you here. I'll let you have the story too. What was the Gotham City paper? Did they have a paper? Gotham Gazette, I think. I don't know if there was anything that was a... Yeah, it's not like the Daily Planet where there is one branded paper. They might need a better paper. That's the yeah. problem. The Arkham Asylum. That probably is the name of the paper, right? <laughs> I wonder if they might get themselves too far into a category where it has to be this, this, and this to be Batman. Because really, it's about time that we do a really fun one where it's like Adam West, where it's like really bright and kind of making fun of the whole thing. I know that Lego Batman kind of tried that a bit, but you can see that that's a whole different format. Here's the movie they need to do is the making of Batman the TV series, because that was revolutionary. And you could show how kind of stupid it was. Some of that stuff where they, you know, just have a blinking light and that suddenly, oh, this is great. Or show how they walked on buildings or slid down the poles. 
I mean, those are things that could easily have been put in behind the scenes, not unlike these reality TV shows that we're getting now. To your point, maybe not with the, the behind the scenes thing, Bruce, but to your point with like them doing some fun stuff, I do think that'll eventually come with like a Batman movie because like they've had like a bunch of animated Batman movies and some of those have gotten a little goofier and a little bit wackier than like the stuff that comes into theaters. And so it seems like it's only a matter of time before that finally does trickle into theaters too. Batman has the best villains. Yep. You know, there's just a huge range of them and they're all like off the beam. They all look like they came from some Cirque to whatever that you didn't want to see. And I think if you had all those kind of goofy, goofy characters, it could be really, really interesting. And to that point with uh, with villains, the thing I'm definitely the most keen on about this movie is I'm a huge Paul Dano fan. He's one of my favorite actors. And so I'm really keen on uh, seeing him in this movie. Well, and thank God he's playing the Riddler and not playing another Joker. Yeah. They've leaned in too heavily on Joker. I'm excited for it, and I feel like it is a, a step towards the right direction. The like you have to branch out from ten years of the same dour, you know, Zack Snyder inspired ideas of the DC superhero movies, and this feels like it's going to kind of you know break the seal on whatever the next form of these movies or interlinked content is. Colin Farrell's already on board with a, a TV show. Penguin show, yep. Yeah, with his character on the Penguin. Whether or not they will let him smoke on, on the set of the TV show, because they, they, they did not let him smoke on the set of the movie, and he was not happy about that. So, You know, he could have been a Batman. Of course. Yeah. Okay, now we're looking at the past Batman. Who is your favorite? My favorite as, as Bruce Wayne is Michael Keaton. And then the one that did the best is actually Batman is probably Christian Bale. Yeah, I would totally second that. I would have liked to have seen Michael Keaton in a Batman movie where the suit could move a little bit more. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> like there's no neck movements. There's no, it wasn't a very lived in performance of him as Batman. And I would have liked to have seen something shift a little bit there. Man, I'm bummed to have a new Alfred Pennyworth. Michael Caine was just perfect. The comic shop that I used to go and get my books at in Charlotte, North Carolina was A. Pennyworth's. You know, shout out to A. Pennyworth's. Big fan of Alfred. And I don't know how I feel about Andy Serkis being in there. Is he wearing a uh, one of those blue suits where he can uh, have it all? <laughs> He's been on this kick now because like, you know, he was in Black Panther also, obviously, and he was just like a dude. He, he's he's done now for, with the uh, with the King Kongs and the uh, the apes type stuff. He's Planet just, of the Apes. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's living his own life. Now he can get work as himself. What did you think of Gotham? Did you like Gotham? I thought they did a great job and I thought it really helped set up the town as being um kind of corrupt and, and dark and troubled. And I thought their versions of the young villains were good. Jada Pinkett Smith, I loved her character. And I wish that they would have done more with her. Fish Mooney was her character's name. And she was big in the first season and then she kind of disappeared and then came back. That That's a good character that really, you didn't know anything about. Whereas these other ones, 
I knew what the penguin was going to be. And I kind of knew where the Joker was going, but I thought they did a great job with that. Now, now they're pressing the Batwoman franchise on television. And I don't know that I really buy into that. I don't know that there's anything there that I haven't seen already. Anything where it takes the perspective of the normal human beings, just trying to live in a world where, you know, you're, you're having to dodge, you know, flying train cars, you know, in the middle of some, you know, superhero fight or whatever. Um, anything like that, where it's the normal day-to-day life of people being intruded upon by superhero hijinks <laughs> and, and just having to confront that and how you fold that into the human existence, I guess, within that. That's why Batman and Spider-Man will always be the two most interesting superhero stories is because they're the closest to like, I obviously Bruce Wayne's a billionaire, but other than that, they're the closest to like two actual normal dudes instead of just like these gods that can do whatever they want. <laughs> yeah, Superman's a whole different world. I mean, that's one of the things that I have really enjoyed about the the Marvel shows, uh, specifically, specifically the Hawkeye show, you know, where it's people that don't have any real remarkable superpowers other than just being really good with a bow and arrow. That show also was one of the first ones to introduce the idea of damage control, the organization within the Marvel comics been around for a long time, but this is a company that exists to handle debris from that. I mean, like they, they exist to like clean up after superheroes basically. And I know that the uh, Spider-Man Movies have kind of touched on that with Michael Keaton's character scooping up alien tech from the, uh, you know, blast zones and whatever. Anyway, superheroes <laughs> are kind of like kids and their parents have to clean up after them. Yep. Speaking of having to clean up after people, Joe Exotic, Bruce Miller's making a face at that transition. <laughs> you killed it, Chris. It no, it you know, when it makes fun of itself in its own original form, do you need to have another version that makes even more fun of it? I don't think so. I mean, if anybody's been living under a rock, I guess, uh, Tiger King was the documentary series on Netflix that aired close to two years ago, I guess. And this is the biopic version of that with Kate McKinnon as Carol Baskin and John Cameron Mitchell as Joe Exotic. Uh, also Kyle MacLachlan as, uh, as Carol's husband. I don't know. I mean, it looks ridiculous. Yeah, it's a no for me. It's a no for me. The no? It's a no. Um, you know what? In that whole land of that kind of stuff, Pam and Tommy is much better. Well, Pam and Tommy seems to be actually wrestling with a lot of the the big questions that it's biting off. I mean, it's, it's taking this trashy tabloidy thing and then juxtaposing it or, you know, putting it within the actual historical context of like, we weren't prepared to deal with the idea of like digital bootlegs of stolen property. As a country, I think we were still grappling with a lot of the issues with male gaze and, you know, the way that we were objectifying actresses I think if you ask people before this started airing, what's the deal with Pam and Tommy? Oh, those are those people who put out a sex tape. And what this does is clear up the chronology of that, that they did not put this out there. They were not trying to get money off this. They were people who were used. I mean, it's it's fun and trashy and all that kind of stuff. But 
it's like they were not seeking this. They were not trying to do this. They were done too. And that's what I appreciate from the producers of this is that they did find a way to let people know that it wasn't like they were just two wild celebrities who were looking for another buck. There is a depth to it. Yeah. I don't necessarily know if if I think that they they stick the landing on all of the elements that that they're wrestling with. And there's still a couple episodes to go until it's over, but they're going in as good faith actors to try and tell as complete and holistic a story as they can. It takes in the human element, the technological element, the upper class, lower class divide, the, you know, I mean, just pornography in general. I mean, it's a it bit off a lot and, and it seems like they are chewing it appropriately. <laughs> I will note that it, it doesn't say a lot about the, the latest iteration of um, Tiger King that we just spent more time talking about the Pam and Tommy show than the Tiger King show. So, <laughs> Well, and look, we just got the second season of Tiger King. And did we need that? We didn't need that. No. So them coming no. back in and doing another thing is just, it looks like it's a money grab. The only reason that that initial season was popular anyway is because it had the good fortune of coming out right when everybody had to go into lockdown otherwise i think it would have just been another thing on netflix that it was just sitting on the homepage for a while and people forgot about i mean i'm gonna push back a little bit on that the pandemic definitely helped it but it was very much the kind of thing that would have gotten traction once it hit i mean it has that like making a murderer kind of propulsion to it and the uh, you know, flyover country oddity to it. But I think we have overestimated the <laughs> the interest that people actually take in Joe Exotic. You know, I mean, there's only, there's only so far that I'm willing to give him as far as my attention span. And, and he exhausted that uh, two years ago. <laughs> well, okay. Now this will lead into the thing about Pam which started out as one Dateline episode, right? I think they got five out of it. And then they also did a podcast about it, which is the hot thing in Los Angeles. Every story that ever is potentially grimy is a podcast. So then they think, let's do this as a TV movie. Okay, but then they're doing it as a TV movie that's kind of irreverent and funny. And it's about somebody who died. I don't think irreverent and funny about real people who die should be done on TV as a movie or a miniseries or whatever you want to do with it. You need to worry about the people who really love those people. And so I find this one a bit, I mean, it's absurd, but I think you've got to be very careful with doing that. It's one thing to do it on Dateline because you're using actual footage and you're using things from the courtroom and you're talking to people in interviews and they get a say. They are able to be a participant in this. But when you create a character out of those people who are interviewed on Dateline, you're making fun of them. And I don't think that's fair. It's the you know, difference between punching up and punching down. You know, it's. Uh... I don't know. It definitely feels like with true crime as such a attractive subgenre of all content, you know, podcasts, movies, TV shows, all of that, you're you're going to get this glut of them and not all of them are going to be handled the same way with the same 
le levels of delicacy? They want to stand out. They're going to stand out with this, I'm sure. But it's like, who owns this property? Who is whose IP is this? And you know, Dateline, they're looking at that as this huge resource of potential material. And I don't know that Dateline is exactly that. Chris, to your point, what you were saying a second ago about somebody who's not necessarily being handled the most gracefully, like how quickly after the um, accident at uh, Astro World where people died, was there like a, a show? Like pretty quickly, if I remember correctly, there was like a documentary that they were already going ahead with one of the streaming platforms. So every, everything is, is fair game now for uh, a streaming service. Well, and this is very well related to Itania. And Itania was not about something that was life or death, right? It was just this goofiness that happened at uh, an Olympics Games. I mean, you I don't know. Have a lot of those... I feel like calling it, quote unquote, goofiness. <laughs> oh, come on. You know, I mean, how goofy that's, are that's, these? That's you guys soft are selling gonna, it a little. <laughs> they're going to club her on the knee and this is what's going to happen. She didn't die, right? So I see where they're going with that. And I can understand that there's been enough time that I can, I can accept that they're playing with the rules. With this, Pam is still up on charges for the death of the woman that they're talking about. They haven't even had the trial. Is that fair? And I'm not defending anybody on anything, but I just think in their eagerness to find material, they're jumping too quickly and they're looking for something that makes it seem different. And I don't know that different is really what they want to do with this. When you're involving real people, I don't like it. Well, for involving real people, how do we feel about the dropout, which is coming out on uh, March 3rd? Oh, and I, I should say, I guess Joe and Carol is going to be on Peacock uh, March 3rd. Also on March 3rd will be the dropout which is uh, the first three episodes are going to hit Hulu on March 3rd. And that's the Elizabeth Holmes story as portrayed by Amanda Seyfried. First of all, I will say the, the three episodes to start off with that Hulu does, and then you, you have this bite that you can binge. That seems like the absolute best model for so many of these things. But have you seen any of these episodes, Bruce? No, uh, we crashed. That's another one that's in this whole genre it's about the we work people mm -hmm. and they're going in a different direction where it's just about the relationship between the couple and so all the other kind of things that are around them and what happens that's not the focus so you know i can see where you're taking but boy there are a lot of these a lot of these ones where it's some big kind of billionaire got in trouble or did something and here we are what's the uh the joseph gordon levitt one with the Uber one. That's the Uber one. And it's called Super Pumped. There we go. Super Pumped. Super Pumped, yes, is the story of Uber and how that had flaws. It started, you know, it's one of the, again, just like we crashed, it starts out with good intentions and then things kind of fall apart on it. If we can like blame, you know, Casino Royale or like Batman Begins for like these gritty like reinterpretations of like characters that have been around for a while. And you can blame like the newer Halloween for having to make direct sequels to stuff. Um, can we blame what the, the social network for like all these kind of things that we're getting now, like lesser versions of, or what, what's the original culprit here for these kinds of shows? 
I think it's it's um, all those tech geniuses who don't necessarily play by the rules. I mean, you go back and, you know, there were, you know, made for TV movies about the Manson family based on the Bugliosi book, you know, I mean, going back to the 80s. And I feel like, I don't know, like true crime or riff from the headline stuff. I mean, what is it? Law and Order has been doing rip from the headlines things, you know, to varying degrees of success as far as how they're handling those stories for so long. But uh, Super Pumped is going to be on Showtime and that uh, starts or it's, it's, it's out already, I think, this weekend. Yeah, they'll be doing other kinds of stories under the Super Pumped title. So it's not just a one off and that's it. They'll be Super Pumped and it'll be a subtitle about another business that might have had. And, you know, I think part of it could be looking at Succession doing well. Succession is very popular because people like to see rich people kind of get theirs or, you know, have their own problems. And I think this is kind of leaning into that a bit where you see, okay, it isn't so great to be a billionaire, is it? I suppose I could do that with a Keith Morrison voice. Oh dear, it looks like another problem. (laughs) We'll see. But that's kind of what, you know, they're looking at is, I think it's a superiority complex on behalf of the producers. They want to prove that sometimes you get caught when you play close to the fire. One of the things about Super Pumped and the Elizabeth Holmes story is that we're we're dealing with these industries that are under-regulated or part of the business model is for them to move as quickly as possible, whether or not things add up. And in the case of the Elizabeth Holmes thing with Theranos, basically turning out to be, you know, a complete fabrication. Uh, whereas with Super Pumped, you end up with, you know, the the entire economy of travel. <laughs> I mean, not to hyperbolize it, but that's their goal, you know, is or at least at, at one point was to, you know, revolutionize ev- anything on four plus wheels. And I don't know if the people who whose natural inclinations are to run companies like this if those are the people that I want in charge of space travel or, you know, health, (laughs) anything having to do with health, (laughs) automated cars (laughs) in general. So I'm intrigued by both of them. I'm looking forward to hearing uh, what you guys think when they actually land. You know, they say these are such complex stories that they can't really do them in a movie. So they need to have that five episode, six episode, whatever, playground in which to tell it all but it'll end just as quickly as other concepts if it doesn't do well well i mean jared mentioned the social network earlier and i feel like that's the gold standard of proving that you you can turn these things into movies but it just takes a lot it takes legitimately brilliant people (laughs) well and i I think the other thing with that too versus uh like the social network which i genuinely love think is a masterpiece and one of the best movies of the century versus like this stuff i also am just antsier about because i don't think any of them are gonna do as good a job of getting at why these people aren't necessarily good people like beyond like i think they're more going to take the approach of oh they're they're just not good because they were being fraudulent with like their investors or, or this that and the other thing and that's that's not exactly why any of these people aren't necessarily a, a plus for, for society. 
So I think there's that too that makes me nervous about some of these shows. I think with Elizabeth Holmes more so, and I'm sure that there are, you know, degrees of of gray that you can kind of like throw around here, but I mean, they're grifters, you know? I mean, they have, you know, different intentions maybe, and their intentions might've been good to begin with and, you know, started out as sincere, but ultimately it's a grift. I mean, I, you know, 10 years from now, I feel like we're going to be seeing the same kind of stuff with, you know, Bitcoin bros and like the board ape yacht club guys are going to be, <laughs> you know, oh, stars, God, stars of their own show. Yep. That's going to be a show. Oh God. Oh man. <laughs> See now why can't Batman fight these kind of crimes? I'd be good with watching a movie where Batman just beats up on some crypto or uh, NFT guys. If that was just the whole movie, I'd be fine with that. <laughs> so that's the dropout. Three episodes drop on uh, on March 3rd on Hulu. Another interesting kind of biopic sort of thing that's coming out this coming weekend on the 6th is Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty. And I have seen some of that. What is your take? It's done as if it were made... Uh, in the time. The visuals are very kind of grainy and, um, you know, it basically looks like a porn film from the 70s is what it looks like. But it's interesting how they too try to take a kind of a lighthearted approach to how they formed this team and how they pulled it all together. John C. Riley is kind of the star of all of it. And then you see how he you know, maneuvers around. He doesn't have the money to do it, but he gets what he needs and and everybody's potential caricature. But it's enough that I kept watching it. I think I watched three episodes of it and I could hang in for more. You can see the show that uh, potentially ended uh, Adam McKay and uh, Will Ferrell's friendship because Will Ferrell really wanted to play uh, Dr. Jerry Buss and he did not, and that went to John C. Riley, like you were talking about, Bruce. Who was very good friends with Will Ferrell. Yep. <laughs> it looks good. It has a great look. I mean, they were good about trying to figure out what do we want to do that will make this stand out. And I, I think that's a great idea, is to make it look like it was made in the, in the time period, like it's all documentary footage, sort of. And then you get these people that you think, oh, I real, didn't realize they acted that way or they were that way. And how truly naive Magic Johnson is. He's more of a choir boy than anything. And I didn't see that as the magic I knew. It's worth noting too, that the reason this makes for such a meaty treatment for a show potentially is that the Lakers in the eighties and the the Celtics in the eighties too, even a little bit before Michael Jordan are really the reason that the NBA took off to more of a national kind of brand. Because before that there would be years where like the NBA finals, would be on tape delay and stuff like that. But once like the eighties rolled around and like the Lakers really got rolling, which this show is about that kind of changed permanently for the NBA. So there's that component of all of this too. Yeah. You see it as this kind of rinky dink operation back in the day and how it grows into a dynasty and how it's this huge factory as it is now. I'm looking forward to that. Sounds like. Yeah. I'd give you a thumbs up. You'd want to see it. And that's Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty, uh, HBO Max, March 6th. It's still really too bad that they didn't go ahead with calling it Showtime, since that's the name of the Lakers from that period. It's the name of the book that it was based on, too. Yep, it would have been great to have a show on HBO called Showtime. (laughs) Maybe there was something there that was a problem, right? I don't think I put it together. 
there's also a magic documentary coming out. So you'll get your fill. Yeah. So that's kind of, we've covered a lot of the, the true nonfiction adaptations, uh, I suppose, but now we can look at, we've got some Oscar movies from last year or just critical, critically acclaimed films that are coming out, uh, hitting, there's two of them that are coming out on HBO. One of them's coming out on Hulu. We can talk about the first two, which are coming out on March 2nd on HBO. And that's Drive My Car, directed by Ryusuke uh, Hamaguchi, and West Side Story, directed by Steven Spielberg. We have spoken so highly of, of West Side Story. I don't know if anybody's got any anything to add to that. No, you should see it. But it's a musical. That's where people back out. They want to see a musical. There was a really great uh, Twitter thread. Now I'll, I'll link to it as well. I was of, about to mention that. Yep. Of uh, Guillermo del Toro breaking down the camera shot, entering the gym when they are, you know, starting their dance and the way the camera moves. And Guillermo del Toro is like, I don't know how I did it. Like, I just, I have no idea how he did this thing for it to look so smooth and so effortless to go from, you know, a steady cam to a jib to a, you know, a crane to, you know, back to it, you know, have it all so fluid. The thing that uh, people pointed out with that uh, scene, which was getting a lot of love over the weekend, like you said, Chris, uh, more than one person pointed out that that's a scene that you could have completely on mute and still figure out exactly like what's going on, where you are, and even what like the motivations of the the characters are, because that's how expressive and like fluid the, the camera work is in that. So it was cool to see, finally see West Side Story getting a lot more love. <laughs> I'm telling you, Diamond Hands, all right? Diamond Hands, I'm all in, all in on Best Picture still. And I don't think it's going to happen. I'm just telling you. Mark my words. <laughs> Coda is getting such love. I, it's like surprising, really surprising. It, by the way, is in the, some theaters free so if you haven't seen it and you want to see it, it's such an old school, traditional film. I'm surprised that it's even getting the attention that it even got in the top 10. But maybe that's what they like about it. I don't know if they're patting themselves on the back because they're doing stories about deaf families or if they are truly taken with what this is. Because it seems like a very, very simple story that we've seen before in other settings. So I'm at a loss, but it it won the Hollywood Film Critics Award. It won the SAG Award. It's on target now. You know, we're we're in that kind of closing steps and that's where it always pays to to make some kind of noise. If it gets the Critics' Choice Award, I bet you any money it's getting the Oscar too. Another one that's up for Best Picture is Drive My Car. And Drive My Car, the problem with that is it's too long. It's three hours plus. It really is. Just to clarify, before we get any hate mail, you're not saying from a a critical standpoint that it's too long. You're saying that it is too long from an Oscar voter standpoint. Yeah, no, no. They they probably won't put the time in to watch it. Just wanted to make sure that you weren't giving notes on. (laughs) No, no, no. They're like me. A good 90 minute movie can go a long way. But I think that they won't put the time in to watch it all the way. I do think that they will put the time in for best international feature. I think it'll win that one. But the idea that they would give it both, I don't think that'll happen. I'm just in general, like anticipating finally getting to 
to watch that one because it hasn't really been screening in a lot of theaters like across the the country so it'll be good to to finally see that one once it comes out on hbo max yeah no and it's one you should see it's a very well-made movie with great people in it and um it has a different story to tell but you've got 10 films you're going up against you know or nine films and you're the 10th it's like when they put a cartoon in there they always go well there's a category for that so we ain't given beauty and the beast best picture and I think that's the same way they'll look at this. They'll say there are other better pictures that will probably figure in there. The thing that's surprising me now is that um, the power of the dog is doing poorly. It's starting to decline. And that had the momentum at Christmas and beyond that that was going to be best picture. And I don't even know now if Jane Campion can win best director. And that was almost a sealed thing. You'd see she's got it. It's hers. The best picture thing, back pocket. So I don't know. It'll be really interesting if we could ever actually see the percentage of votes and the breakdowns for who gets what and how close first and second is. And then I guess lastly, but far from least, Benedetta, the Paul Verhoeven non-sploitation movie, which is uh, maybe best known for its poster, which features a portion of areola peeking out from underneath a nun's habit. Paul Verhoeven, of course, is the director of RoboCop and Starship Troopers. And Showgirls. And Showgirls. And um, that is coming out on Hulu. Very excited. Yeah. I honestly don't know if it's like what degree there's going to be any kind of, you know, sacrilege. I mean, anybody attacking something like this from a topical standpoint is going to dip their toes in that water, but March 4th, Hulu, Benedetta, Paul Verhoeven. This has been a, a big week of stuff to talk about. And was there anything on like the shorter list that you guys were interested in, in shouting out before we, we tied this one up? I am good. <laughs> I think we are coming out of all of this kind of funk that we've been in with the pandemic. I think we will see bigger movies, things that people want to get to the movie theaters for. I think we'll get rid of all this kind of angst about cartoon movies. You know, I'm talking your DC and your, your Marvel ones, because I really don't care about Dr. Strange and how he may really be behind all of this. It's not Iron Man and it's not, I don't care. He's the key to it all. I don't care, you know? And so... I think people drill down too far with all that stuff and they don't realize that a movie should be able to stand alone. You should be able to go in without any preconceived notion about anything. You should not have read a book. You should not have, you know, learned everything from this. You should be able to be entertained from what you're given right there. And, uh, and that's Bruce, where and you'll, you'll appreciate that then saying that uh, particular sentiment because uh, Danny McBride was talking about Righteous Gemstones the other day and was saying that like they write every season of that show so it can stand alone. They don't want to do like cliffhangers and like all kinds of stuff like that. So, well, God bless him because he's good. But I do think that the second season repeats the first, very similar. <laughs> so, but I do like to have that closure, and I th I think that other people do too. I think they want. I don't want to have to feel like I am missing out on something. And that's where you have, well, how many parts were there of Harry Potter? Way too many. 
those kids never got out of school. And um, now they're talking about rebooting it again and that they would bring the Potter kids back. And mm. we'll have to save that gripe fest for, um, for the Dumbledore episode. Oh God. Fantastic beasts. Isn't that just kind of a waste that you look at that and you say, those got nowhere and it's kind of stupid. And I don't know. <laughs> Colin Farrell was in them, but there you are. Anything you wanted to pitch a little love at Jared before we go or jump right into closing remarks? No, I'll, I'll just uh, reiterate again. Um, I am vengeance and uh, yeah. <laughs> go and see something good. And the Batman. And the Batman. So that's going to be it for us this week. Uh, we'll be back next week with more picks, maybe an interview, who knows. Uh, you can check the show notes for links to all the movies we talked about. Find links to, you can, you know, where you can contact Bruce, Jared, and myself. The show is produced by the three of us. And me, Chris Lay, is the one who records and edits it. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the show, taking care of yourself out there. As always, see something good. Gentlemen, it's a pleasure. I'll just uh, reiterate again. Um, I am vengeance. And uh, yeah. Oh, dear. It looks like another problem. <laughs>